Welcome, Voltron fans. This is it. Season 6 is here. Have you seen it? Has everybody seen Season 6? Because we're going to be talking about it, so this is a big, hot spoiler alert for everybody right now. Can we hear that? Let's hear it. That's our spoiler alert sound, and it comes directly from Voltron Legendary Defender, just to let you know. If you guys can figure out where it is, you'll win a prize, okay? <laughs> So, we're all excited about Season 6. I, of course, am Mark Morell, your host, and this is Let's Voltron, the official Voltron podcast, and of course, I have to introduce my co-host, Greg Tyler. Hey, Mark. Hello, Voltron fans. Was this a heck of a season or what? <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know how else to say it. I mean, wow. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. So much stuff. So much stuff. Oh, so many characters. So many. Some things were resolved. You know, some things we're still unsure about. But, oh, oh, we're going to get to this. <laughs> we'll get to what was the... We have a review that we're going to be doing later. Yes. We have a few things that we have to do before then, but we just... We cannot say it enough just how awesome season six was. Yeah. So how would you rank season six uh, compared to the other seasons of the show? Well, I thought season five was the best season when it came out. And now I think season six is the best season. I still have a hard time comparing anything to season one because season one set everything up. But definitely season six trumps season five, which is easily my favorite since season one. Yeah. What a batch of episodes. Wow. Yeah, so we're going to go over these episodes, you know, at a high level, not at a, a detailed level, because we still do that later on. We're going to be doing the deep dives into each episode from season six. Right. And we might have some guests on with us to do that. That would be cool. Yes, it would. So we've got a whole bunch of things for you. So we've been telling you all week. <laughs> we've been telling you all week. We have Joaquin and Lauren. Yes, we do. Your executive producers. And we have an announcement to make about a special video that is exclusive to this podcast. And then we also have a special guest coming on with us to talk about some things that you're going to be able to see exclusives at San Diego Comic-Con. Yep, cool stuff. Yeah, so this we, we can't wait to get to it all. So why don't we bring on our very, very special guest, the executive producers of Voltron Legendary Defender. All right. And they're back. The creators of Voltron Legendary Defender on Netflix from DreamWorks Animation are executive producers Joaquim Dos Santos and Lauren Montgomery. Welcome back. Hey, guys. Good to be here. I got to tell you, number one, it's wonderful to have you both back. Number two, holy crap. Season six of Voltron Legendary Defender was amazing. Awesome. <laughs> so glad you guys enjoyed it. Yeah, we were really excited about everybody seeing it. Yeah, and how about that ending? Friggin' nuts. Come on now. Oh, yeah. Wow. And, <laughs> oh man, everybody's gonna love this. And I know, just so you guys know, this podcast is coming out the day of the launch of season six. Oh, wow. June 15th. So uh, there's gonna be a lot of people that have already seen all the episodes by the time they get to this podcast. But we're gonna put a warning at the beginning of this podcast right. telling everybody, okay, spoiler alert. If you haven't seen it yet, we're going to be talking about season six awesome. with Joaquin and Lauren. Cool. Yes, yep. all the spoilers. That's right. Yes. So let's spoil. <laughs> all right. So my first question, mm. where's Matt? He's around. He's doing things. I think what ended up happening was this final fight with Lotor was not expected. 
it was kind of sprung on them. And Matt and the Rebels couldn't get back in time. They had to kind of spread out to a, you know. Handle the other. Yeah, they're trying to, yeah. to kind of reassemble the universe and, and uh, spread peace. That's right. And so, unfortunately, their forces were a bit spread out at the time. Because Matt, he didn't leave his job with the Rebels. He's still all in. So he, he was at work. And <laughs> beyond that, if we had added Matt, I think the entire production would have imploded because we were, <laughs> it was so crazy. We were at the breaking point yeah. where we couldn't handle one map. One more character and it all falls apart. That's right. Wow. Now, one of these episodes, I don't have my, my note on that in front of me, but one of these episodes had two directors. This was the, uh, the episode, the, the Voltron versus Lotor's Voltron episode, I believe. Yeah. Um, yeah. Chris Palmer was one of them. Who was the, the new director? Rie, Rie Koga. Yeah. Um, and yes. So what had happened was, you know, Chris was leaving the show and Rie had come on. Chris had really started and done a lot of the heavy lifting in the episode up to a certain point. And then Rie came on and she she finished it and right. she kind of drove it home. So we didn't feel like we should deny either of them credit. They both needed to be credited as directors because they both did an equal amount of work. Oh, and sure. yeah. They did an amazing job. It was we don't... a heavy episode. <laughs> heavy, heavy episode. We, we can't usually uh, afford two directors on an episode, but uh, but that was a special occasion. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, not just for the transition, which, which was handled amazing because this is one of the most beautiful episodes of the series, but I just assumed that there were two directors because there was so much going on content-wise. There was a lot. I think it definitely deserved two directors, so we're, we're lucky that it ended up that way, but it wasn't it wasn't planned ahead of time. Yeah. Normally, okay. we would have just murdered Chris or Rie <laughs> yeah, with the amount of work. All the way. But <laughs> Speaking of credits we're not used to seeing, Joaquin, you wrote an episode. I did. Tell us about that. Yeah. Super excited. You know, it's one of those things that I've been wanting to do for many, many years now and finally got to an EP position. I said, guys, I'm just going to write one of these things. Hmm. And, you know, I'm emotionally attached to both Keith and Shiro and, and had some ideas on how that episode could play out. So, yeah, it was very exciting. So you're the one that has to decide how the battle between Keith and Shiro pans out. Somewhat. <laughs> along with a, a, a consortium of awesome writers and, and Lauren board and artists board and, artists. And yeah. But yeah, as like everything in, in animation is, it's teamwork. But it was definitely Joaquin's brainchild. And then everyone else just kind of came in and nailed it. Put, yeah, put their best foot forward and made a really great episode. And by the way, being in the writer's room from a, a very different perspective uh, was a, a huge learning experience for me and uh, gave me even more respect for, for the team. Just because when you got to go through and do like painful story edits on something that you wrote, it feels like limbs are getting cut off. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's funny. Because somebody's arm does get cut off on this one. That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, disarmed us with your humor. Love it. Wow. <laughs> I got to ask real quick. The new, the rebuilt, if you will, Shiro from the Corone body and our uh, lo much beloved original Shiro's essence now has all gray hair. Should we start calling him Space Granddad? <laughs> uh, you're more than welcome yes. to do that. He's leveled up to granddad status. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think the word in the voice acting booth was uh, the Silver Fox. That's right. Nice. So space Silver Fox or yeah, what have you. I like that. 
old man Shiro. He keeps rolling along. Yes. <laughs> yeah, this is going to be a, a different Shiro for us, but uh, are we going to be able to get him a new arm? You know, I think uh, I think we might be able to pull some strings and make that happen, but we'll see. Uh, I think it's also interesting, though, to, to see him, you know, without an arm for a little while. Yeah. That might be, how, how does he overcome that uh, obstacle? He's had so many, what's one more, right? <laughs> <laughs> Let's just throw a little bit more at Shiro right now. <laughs> so I got to ask also, are we going to get to see Ranveig's monster again? You know, that sounds like some spoiler territory. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I see what you're trying to do here, and I'm not going to fall for it. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Well, super creepy, though, right? I mean, that monster was yeah. super creepy. Yeah. And I got to just as a general comment, the use of the space fish, if you will, to get to the Altaian colony with Crolia and Keith riding on it was an amazing and very clever way to fill in their backstory without having Crolia just sit there and talk. Awesome. <laughs> Oh, it's just so neat. The, the different visions and, and just a little bit of exposition. Oh, you're having flashbacks of the past and the future. And that was handled so, so well. Awesome. Well, yeah, it, we're thrilled. It took definitely a lot of organization and communication on our part to make sure that things were lining up. And especially when it comes to seeing like the flashes of the future. Yeah. Those are episodes we haven't even written yet. <laughs> and we're trying to like, are we sure this is going to happen in that episode? Right. Oh yeah, we better make it happen. We're going to lock in. So uh, it, it's <laughs> harder than it, it seems to actually do it, but it was a lot of fun. And being creative with yeah. a limited amount of time in that episode to get that much information in, you know, uh, that sort of time montage is, uh, is a good creative workaround. Yeah, I remember reading some comments and hearing from our friend Seamus Kelly that uh, Robotech has some level of influence on Voltron Legendary Defender. And I have to say, this use of exposition is a lot better than a narrator just beating you over the uh, head with it. <laughs> uh, I love that narrator, though. Oh, I do, too. Rick was feeling very emotional. <laughs> All right. I have to thank you for bringing three characters back from the original series. Cool. In this season alone. Yes. We're talking about Nanny, Bandor, and Rommel. Yeah, and Nanny in a, in a very unique and different kind of way. That's right. Which was fun. <laughs> no but, doubt. Uh, yeah, we're talking about Dayak, the governess. Sure. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> but Rommel was something that, you know, I always loved the character Rommel, and I, I was really excited to bring her back. And, you know, we, we'd really abandoned that whole, you know, her being kind of an Allura doppelganger. That wasn't mm -hmm. really a need in our show. So we were able to kind of to just differentiate those characters up a lot more so we didn't have two girls looking exactly the same. Mm. And, and that was fun. Bandor, also fun. They, they just came from some crazy Grecian planet, planet. In, in Voltron. That's but. Right. Uh, <laughs> It, it, yeah. We also just like hearing Ramel say Bandor. Yeah. I love, love it. <laughs> Thank you so much for resolving the Shiro Corona issue. <laughs> we were dying over that one and not my Shiro can be settled now. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Is this your Shiro? Yes and no. <laughs> That's right. It's both. As of now. Yeah. Exactly. 
<laughs> and then, of course, for teaching us the ways of the Galra and learning what Repitsa actually means. <laughs> yeah. So now everyone can say it and know exactly in what context to say it. They know it's history. It's, yeah. a, it's like the Spartans of the Galra. There you go. The killing thrust. Yes. That's right. Indeed. And I loved that Hunk was the person to learn this about Galra culture. <laughs> Hunk is, he's my favorite character, and I just love any time he, he gets to step out of his comfort zone. So it's great. Yeah, the least likely to want anything to do with any sort of killing thrust. And yet, uh, but yeah, we always wanted to take Hunk down that diplomatic trail. And the first thing he's going to have to do is learn to understand the other cultures. So right. he jumps at the opportunity to understand more about the Galra. And the beautiful thing is he adapts and ultimately is able to speak to them in, in their, their language. language. Yeah. <laughs> and he brings the, the lieutenant and the commander together in the process. That's exactly. Right. That's right. So it was a it was a great moment to to see for Hunk because that's it's something we've been, you know, wanting to build him towards through the whole series. I also and, just like kind of nonchalantly signed up. He's like Will I get to learn what it means? All right, I'll do it. Cool. <laughs> and I love the way you guys, with the episode titles and various other things in the show, give certain scenes and, and the episode titles additional levels of meaning. You know, there's the first glance meeting, and then if you look beneath the surface, you, you see other levels of meaning. I love that, you know, the, the shield became fractured, and then with the help of Hunk leading the paladins and mm -hmm. Hunk learning about the Gulra and talking with their commanders, leading them to fuse back together again. I thought that was so cool. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that, that I think, the credit for that really probably belongs to the writers. Yeah. They, they, they come up with all those titles, and so they're much deeper people than we are. I'm just like, hey, that sounds good. Yeah, that's a good title, guy. <laughs> good job. <laughs> Yeah. All right. So I know the trailer that you guys put out sort of makes people think that there's going to be a battle between Lotor and Sendak at some point during season six. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Really nice. Which we don't get. No. That's a misdirect. <laughs> right. We can't give anything away. Yeah, guys. But what it does is it, it really gives us a chance to see in this one episode, we, we do see Sendak. But we also see, you know, Hunk learning the ways of the Galra. We see the governess. We see Hagar on Orion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And at the end, she becomes a Nerva again. Yeah. yeah it's, a, it's a whole new world for her. I mean, it's just, to me, it's, it's the biggest sign that there's change. If, if there was a fracture within the Galra, you know, in this season, moving forward, things are going to change drastically. Uh, oh, and, yeah. And her nervous shift really signifies that and kind of sets all that yeah. off. Never count Hagar out or a Nerva. Same person. That's you right. get the idea. <laughs> yeah. So for those people who may not know when she becomes a Nerva, is this a different voice actor? Uh, it is. We, you know, we talked about it and we thought, you know, the best way to really display the change overall in this character is not only visual, but also the sound. If she's truly returned to this character, then, uh, yeah, you can look forward to hearing some some more Lily Rabe. Yeah, okay. and, you know, as she voiced Anerva in the uh, flashback episode. Yeah. Yep. Cool. All right, and then at some point, uh, we do actually get to see the meeting between Anerva and Lotor. Yeah. And how that actually pans out. It doesn't doesn't go as well as Anerva had hoped, huh? <laughs> Uh, Does anything ever go as well as they hoped in this show? <laughs> I think the, I, you know, we, I think we touched on it pretty well mm -hmm. when uh, 
you know, Allura kind of brought up the fact that they might be the same person when yeah. her and, and Lotor were investigating uh, the secrets of Orion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And was, this kind of confirmed where Lotor's stance was on all that. Yeah, it was an option he did not want to hear. And, you know, whether it was the truth or not, he was never going to accept it. Yeah. It's tragic, so, really. It's tragic. It, it is. Chip was so it, damaged that he wouldn't even accept her. Yeah. It's uh, rough stuff. And but I look forward to seeing what evolves. Was getting cut off moment where it was like that speech went on way longer. And then at some point, Tim turned to me and was like, dude, what is wrong with you? <laughs> going on for like 20 minutes i was like there's a, a lot of emotional stuff here man it's like it's gotta go speaking of emotional stuff you've got a little bit of a if you want to call it a love triangle or not but there's a little bit of a closeness happening between alora and lotor in these episodes before everything goes south mm-hmm. we actually get to see a kiss between lotor and alora mm. but at the same time we find out lance is really spoken his feelings about Alora to the space mice. Yep. <laughs> wow. And at some point, the space mice tell Alora how Lance feels about her. For sure. Yeah. You know, and by the way, minutes after that kiss, she's judo throwing Lothor right to the ground <laughs> as hard as so. It's it's a lot going on there. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. a good thing that Lance now knows how to use an Altan broadsword because he might need it. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's a, it's just a lot of feelings coming to a head. I think that Allura's closeness to Lotor may have been a large part of what made Lance realize how he felt. When when there was no one kind of... Vying. Yeah, vying for her. He was calm to kind of just chill. But now that he sees like this this woman may be <laughs> looking at other guys, he it's setting him off. So, uh, you know... That's what makes good stories, guys. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Along this 52-episode ride that you guys have given us so far, we've learned that don't get used to something for very long because immediately it's going to change. Yes. Yes, that is true. That is 100% true. Never feel comfortable. (laughs) And speaking of change, you know, shortly before what happened to Karon Shiro happened to Karon Shiro, we got to see him let loose and relax with Monsters and Mana. Yeah. Yeah, and and that was really one of the, I think Josh actually spoke about it in in the booth, that, you know, Shiro doesn't get to be funny a lot. And in that episode, Shiro actually got to be funny. It was a lot of humor that was derived from him being such a boring <laughs> boring yeah. guy and always picking a paladin. But yeah, yeah Josh kind of let loose and do some goofy stuff with Shiro, and he, he loved it. I can't tell you how many times we laughed at his, like, yelp in terror when he gets immediately, like, struck by... Like the magical lightning, <laughs> oh, and yeah. gets roasted. And he does this like. <laughs> There's also <laughs> a scene where he hits. He's knocked into a pillar, and he actually says "yarg." yarg. You can hear it very yes. clearly. Yarg. I remember. It's incredible. But that that episode was such a treat for all of us to work on. We just had so much fun, and it was such a dis- departure that I think we all needed for that minute because we were so in the thick of all of these like really high stakes dramatic stories and we knew the big fights were coming so yeah. uh we just appreciated the fun that was the one that yeah we, we i think we s- smiled and laughed at the most and then when we were when we did our final edit and and uh picture lock each one of those milestones we were like oh man that's one less time we get to watch that episode and then when we finally <laughs> did our final mix it was like oh, that's it now we just got to wait till we watch it when it airs. Yeah. The fans were speculating before season six comes out 
that the classes of each of these characters, like Pidge is a dwarf, mm-hmm. Lance is a thief, Shiro's a paladin, Karan is basically the dungeon master, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what was Hunk and Alora again? Hunk was a mage. He was a mage. Yeah. And then uh, he, I think he specialized in like white mage healing magic. Yeah, he was like the. Uh, and yeah, the, the, but he he was taking on some of the the black magic with the water spells and, the, and such. Yeah. And then Alora was she was like an elven archer. She was an elven archer. Like, yeah. a, like a rogue type. I don't know. Like mm-hmm. I'm I'm not the most knowledgeable about the D and I've got a, I've got a decent knowledge, so I might be a little off. Yeah. I like how Hunk said, "I'm a healer, not a fighter." Exactly, because <laughs> that's, right. that's what he is. <laughs> we need to talk about from monsters and mana we we need to talk about that pub scene okay because this is a special very special introduction to the fans that we get to introduce mm-hmm. as a podcast and we're excited about this because dreamworks made a very special video that shows that that pub scene in monsters and mana has a few characters in there that we might not have immediately recognized at first glance <laughs> I don't know how you couldn't recognize Joaquin's hat and <laughs> big green muscles. All right, so let's talk about this. Uh, there's actually 13 characters in that scene that are all made from actual members of the crew. Right. Uh-huh. And this was the child of Steve-On. Yeah, Steve-On just made that entire scene up. Sadly, he didn't put himself in there, so you know he doesn't really get the, the call-out that he deserves. But he did it. He just drew it himself. He threw us all in there, and we were all very touched. Steve was the dungeon master of that episode. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so Lauren, you look like you have a little bit of Wonder Woman going on on you. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, it's only true to life. are you actually holding the god killer sword that may be very true i i honestly don't know i i looked at myself and thought like yeah that looks about as surly as i am (laughs) (laughs) so you both have the pointy ears yep Mm. joaquin's very green and (laughs) his hat is that a rooster's head on it? Yeah, you know, I, for a while I was wearing this hat that had an eagle on it, uh, and I think they just took that bird theme and uh, ran with it. Nice. Uh, okay. He was also the taskmaster of, of, in that episode, there's a scene where I think Hunk cast like the levitate spell. That's right. Levitation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. And at first they were just going to kind of float, but then, you know, Joaquin's like, no, it's got to be like Zelda. They got to have chickens in there so uh, i don't know if that influenced the chicken hat at all yeah that might have that might have been it our favorite is christy sang's character hanging on the wall slowly drawing her sword yes (laughs) so yeah she looks like a fairy or something like that right darling little pixie with a very deadly sword okay nice all right, so these are the people that you had in there you had anthony Wu, color supervisor Uh Mm uh-huh keon ryu supervising producer yeah. Yep. Chris Palmer, director. Correct. Owen Sullivan, storyboard artist. Yes. Yep. We got Lauren. Okay, by the way, I'm, I'm doing this all from left to right. All right. <laughs> no problem. Go crazy. Lauren's in the foreground. She's the executive producer. Then we've got Sean O'Neill, the storyboard artist. Mm-hmm. Christy Zhang, the character design supervisor. You got Ethan Becker. Yep. Yeah. Ethan Becker's the storyboard revisionist. Yep. You have William New, a designer. Mm-hmm. Joaquim is in the foreground, executive producer. Sung Shin? Yeah. Yep. The storyboard artist? Mm-hmm. 
Then you have Christine Beyond, the, the prop and backgrounds design supervisor, and Eugene Lee, the director. Yeah. That's right. And Eugene always draws himself in such a weird way. So you'll notice his character like looks nothing like him, but he always just kinda... He's obsessed with drawing himself like that, so that sort of becomes a representation of Eugene. It is not We think <laughs> Eugene's a handsome dude. He keeps drawing this like weird monster man version of himself. <laughs> like he's mostly teeth and nothing else. <laughs> yeah. But he's a a an incredible talent and just a very good sport. Yeah. And we've gotten to know that profile on Twitter and Instagram. Right on. Awesome. I think we're being called away. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. We wish we had more time. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, Thank we'll, you for season we'll six. All the cool stuff. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, for sure. We'll we'll be back on your show in no time. All right. We look forward to it. Thank you very much for season six. It's wonderful. It is. It's awesome. Awesome. <laughs> Fans love it. Right Thanks, on, guys. guys. Here's a Let's Voltron podcast exclusive. Well, that exclusive tagline means we are introducing something from the podcast that has never been seen before by any Voltron fans. Woohoo! <laughs> we talked about it with Joaquim and Lauren right at the end of their interview. This is the pub scene from Monsters and Mana. But it's brought to you in a very exclusive video from DreamWorks Animation. They put it together themselves, and we're thankful that they were allowing us to introduce it to you. Awesome. So what this has is, in that pub scene, there were a bunch of people that work on the, the crew for DreamWorks Animation, and we listed them when we talked to Joaquim and Lauren. So what you're going to get to do is you're going to get to see that scene all over again in a special way where they pinpoint each of those people that are representing those characters in the pub scene from Monsters and Mana. Yep. So we're excited to bring this to you. What you can do to see it is on letsvoltron.com, on the web page, in the middle there of this episode, you're going to get to see our special announcement of this exclusive video from DreamWorks Animation. We're excited to present it to you. It's the pub scene from Monsters and Mana, you just go to that exclusive link, and you'll be able to get to it. And it's fun to watch. Did I explain it okay? Yeah, I think you did. Go to Let'sVoltron.com. Go to the page for this podcast, this Season 6 review, this overall review, and you'll find a link in the description of the podcast. Click it and enjoy. Yes. So I think a lot of people are going to be enjoying this a lot. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to see this many more times than once. So it's really well done. Really well done. So we want to thank DreamWorks Animation for putting that together for us. Absolutely. And it's a little bit of a behind the scenes of season six. Yeah. And it's really cool. That's a special thing that we're bringing to you for Let's Voltron, the official Voltron podcast. And we have another special thing that we're bringing to you, a little bit of a preview of what might be happening at San Diego Comic-Con with a special place that we've always liked to go to when we visit the conventions, a little booth called Han Cholo. Mm-hmm. So we have Brandon Schoolhouse, the CEO from Han Cholo, with us, so let's bring him on. All right, let's do it. like to welcome back to the podcast a special guest we've been there at the conventions with them they are han cholo and joining us now is their ceo brandon schoolhouse welcome brandon hey guys how are you 
Thank it's you good. for having me over the show. It's great to have you on again. Awesome. Yes, so Brandon, I know you guys are going to be at San Diego Comic-Con. Can you tell us what's going to be going on there? Yeah, we're, we got a lot of stuff going on there for the Comic-Con. A lot of really top-secret exclusive pieces, very limited edition. I'll start out by saying we're having a special, special exciting announcement and at a release at San Diego Comic-Con. We are having... For all the old school classic Voltron fans, we're only doing this once and only for San Diego Comic-Con, is we're doing a top secret fan club package that will only be released there. I can't tell you right now what's going to be in the package, but it's, it's pretty awesome. And also, for others, we're also doing a release on some modern Voltron pieces, which are going to be the Princess Allura ring in stainless steel. She'll be in the gold-plated stainless steel, so it'll definitely be the first time getting that there. We also have the Baird gun, Voltron Baird gun. First edition is going to be sterling silver, and you can pick your stone colors you want to have. So you can have black stones, green stones, red stones, yellow stones, blue stones, you name it. Wow. Yeah, we're excited about that. And those will only be in sterling silver. We will have the Blue Lion there as well. Um, and we have, we're releasing two new pins, too, for the for Modern Voltron. We have the Princess Allura and Lotor split face pin. Oh, that'll oh, cool. be there. Yeah, it's really cool. And the Team Voltron pin, which is all the pilots on the pin. Nice. That's what we'll be releasing there. So there's a lot of stuff coming out. We, and not to mention all of our other excuses, but the Voltron stuff we are so excited about. It's going to be amazing. Okay. Sounds like it. All right. Are you guys getting geared up for season six? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That trailer is, oh, oh wow. <laughs> it's amazing. I'm, I'm kind of like, I'm like, I'm like on the fence. I'm like, is, is Prince of Lotor, is he going to be like, is he really trying to join forces or is he going to like, you know, betray everybody, you know, kind of thing. So we're letting everybody know we're recording this ahead of time. But when we release this, season six will already be out. Already be up. Oh, yeah, it's true. I didn't even think <laughs> about <we're>, that. <laughs> of course, we can't tell you what happened, even though Greg and I have already seen it. But Oh, man. We had an interview with Lauren and Joaquim, and, you know, they gave us all kinds of details about it and everything. And we're talking to them on this podcast. Awesome. AJ actually, I uh, talked to him every once in a while, who plays Prince Lotor. So, right. right. Definitely, I'm, I'm trying to get him to be at our booth, too, when we, we, uh, when we release the pin as well. That would be cool. Yeah, AJ has become a popular voice actor, and Lotor has become a popular character. Yes, he has. And your merchandise is awesome, too. I mean, geez, I, I, I still have my uh, Deadpool-style ring and just love it. Sweet. Uh, yeah, good stuff. Thank you so much. I, thanks for supporting us. You guys are always so rad. I'm going to have to add to the Green Line pendant, the pin set that we got before, the enamel pin set. Uh-huh. The Red Lion ring that I have and the Voltron ring. So uh, I need some more stuff. Yeah. You know, I have some fingers that are open here. <laughs> For sure. Well, the Red Lion, we don't make it stand still anymore. So that was it. Now we're on the Blue Lion and so on. So right now the, the hot new things are going to be Blue Lion. Princess Allura ring is going to be the hot seller. My wife will want that one. Oh, for sure. For sure. And like I said, the classic Voltron fan package is pretty amazing. It's like it takes you back to the old school retro days when you had to like mail in a form to, you know, become a become a member, you know. Oh, oh that is so cool. cool. <laughs> so we're bringing that 
whole package to Comic Con, and we that only have neat. yeah, we only have 250 packages, Ooh. and we're only putting a limited limited quantity June 21st so for people that can't get the Comic Con mm-hmm. online on our site. So June 21st, super limited. We're only releasing a few like probably 50 packages online only. So wow, get them while you can because it's going to be sold out. Yeah, this is going to be the exclusives of exclusive. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's only made there. It's, it's the first time we've done this, and it's the only time we get to do this. And I'm super excited. So, of course, been a Voltron fan since I've been a, a kid. So <laughs> bringing back the classic Voltron is like something, uh, pieces I've always wanted to do that I never got to do, and now they're coming out. So I, I'm, I'm excited. That is exciting. That's awesome. And, of course, when it's time to share these, we'll probably bring you back on the podcast again just before San Diego Comic-Con, okay? Sounds good. Totally. And we'll have all the... All the details. Pictures and all that. All the details, for sure. Yes. Well, like I said, we have the Bayard gun. That's really exciting. It looks it looks amazing. It's, it's super exciting. And that's the thing I wanted to put out there was to have all the fans. You know, they all have their own color, you know, lion gun so that's one of the things that we're going to be releasing and that's like i said only in sterling so that's like one of my favorite pieces in the modern voltron set all right so we're looking forward to all the bayard guns yep oh and of course the voltron shield and all the paladin shield will will have their necklace as well so there's a lot of new stuff coming out we're we're really like on it so all right good deal it's super fun (laughs) Well, with Season 6 here and new Voltron jewelry from Han Cholo, we are really looking forward to San Diego Comic-Con now. I am too. I can't wait to see you guys and show you this stuff in person. All right. That's great. Well, we want to thank you for joining us on the official Voltron podcast, Let's Voltron. Thank you for having me again. Yeah, thanks a lot. We'll see you in San Diego. We'll see you there. It's always great to talk to Han Cholo because I love everything that they have. Don't you, Greg? Yeah, they do some amazing stuff. I mean, not just for Voltron, although obviously that's, you know, all that in a bag of chips. But <laughs> they've done so many other media properties as well. And every property that they tackle, they they go full on and do some great, great stuff. And Voltron is certainly no exception. Yeah. So I'm excited that we'll get to see those items at San Diego. But for those people who aren't able to go to San Diego, they are making a very, very exclusive. Only 50 are going to be available for those people who can't make it to San Diego. So make sure you pay attention. The next time that we have Brandon Schoolhouse on, we'll be giving away all the details for those exclusive items. Yeah, and I got to tell you, I'm really excited about that fan club pack that he was talking about. I actually did a deep dive review of the 1980s. It was called Voltron Team force the uh, fan club pack that kids could get back then on my lions and pilots and bots.com site and it was so fun to go through those materials as a grown-up and think how cool it would have been if i'd actually had that set as a kid but now a new version of that will be coming out it's sdcc uh in limited quantities on their website that that's just really cool yeah and i like that idea of doing the uh send in your contact info and you might send in five bucks or something like that and then you would get this this kind of a welcome pack with a little letter from one of your favorite characters in the case of voltron it was keith 
and uh you know just a bunch of neat kind of stuff like a game did it come with like stickers or an iron-on or something like that uh it came with a poster which was really nice yes easily easily my favorite poster of 80s voltron that was made in the 80s beautiful artwork there was a neat little sort of paper fold-up thing which explained many of the the great qualities of people who are on the voltron force so if you want to be part of the voltron team force then here are some great things you could do it's almost like a like a girl scout boy scout kind of a thing um <laughs> it's just cheesy cool awesomeness and I, I really look forward to seeing what Hancho Lo comes up with for that and of course for all their awesome jewelry yeah so we're looking forward to more from Han Cholo. But right now, I'd really like to get into this Season 6 review because I can't wait to talk about Season 6 with you. Oh, yes, it's awesome. Let's do it. Yeah, so, you know, the the fans were speculating even before Season 6 came out about what might be happening in this season. Do you think there's one particular thing that you think the fans guessed right on? Well, yes. Well, there's people who debated this as well. But to me, for a moment one the Shiro that we got to see after season two, to me, it was obvious there was something amiss with him, that he was a clone, especially when people started pointing out, like our friend Danny, pointing out that Corone is Japanese for clone, that that was going to happen. I I think a lot of people had sort of uh, believed it, and it certainly turned out to be true here. Yeah, so I think a lot of people were right that at the end of season two, when he disappears, and Zarkon is you know, pretty much laid to rest almost, you know, he's, he's sort of unconscious, but Hagar is taking care of him, Mm -hmm. but there's nobody that's able to find, you know, Shiro anywhere. And a lot of people did guess that Shiro was in the consciousness of Black Lion. Right, right that the essence of Shiro had somehow bonded with Black Lion. Yeah, that had been my guess. And then, of course, season five with uh, the uh, Shiro appearing in the Voltron mind space, reaching out to Lance and all that certainly seemed to add weight to it. And obviously it was spelled out for us this time in season six. Right. There's a part at one of the later episodes of season six where Keith is able to get in touch with him in the Black Lion mind space. Yeah. But I got to tell you, and I know that we're, maybe I'm jumping the next thing about, you know, what surprised people on the storyline with Shiro. Something I didn't expect was the refusion of Shiro's essence with the Corona Shiro's body. Ah. That coupled with the Castle of Lions being destroyed was a, that, that was a one-two punch surprise for me. Especially because it reminded me a little bit of Star Trek Three where the Enterprise was destroyed in the uh, quest to save Spock. And at the end of that film, Spock's essence, which was in Dr. McCoy's mind, was transferred back into a, uh, a regenerated body for Spock. So I didn't expect that ending. Did you expect that? No, but it was, you know, another one of those Allura powers that we had no idea she had. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. You know, it's just... Okay, I know exactly how to find him from Black Lion, and I'm just going to pull him into this body here. Yeah. Okay, yeah, we've never seen that before. What What are you, a witch? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it really makes me wonder what she learned from Orion versus what she could already do. Yeah, that's true. I mean, at Orion, they said the power was uh, was always with you. So is she doing anything that she couldn't do before, or is she just getting more clued into how to use the powers that she already has? Well, she certainly seemed very confident about what she was doing there at the end. 
Yeah, and that is not uh, that's not the confidence that she had before going to Oriond. Just when she helped to regenerate the Balmera back in season one, she had a lot of self doubt throughout season five. So in a lot of ways, this is a new Allura. Yeah, now that she's got the the power of alchemy and uh, she's more like her father in more ways than she had ever thought possible, and you know she already had certain powers that we knew about that certain Altaeans, the chosen ones, could have. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I think uh, she's the complete package now, and I think going forward she's going to show a lot more confidence. Uh, and, and on the subject of chosen ones and powers and all that and Orient, what happened with Hagar? Oh, okay. All right. So here's the thing. Uh-huh. In the first episode, Omega Shield, right? Mm-hmm. As we're going through Omega Shield, every once in a while, Shiro's having these twinges of pain, and you see a little bit of the connection between Hagar and Shiro happening there. Right. So it's, it's sort of like it's on the fritz for a while. Mm hmm And then when she actually gets to Oriond, it becomes even deeper. As she's going to Oriond, you know, of course, they're trying to put together this Omega Shield. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And of course, this is a huge hunk episode. We'll get to that. Oh, yes. But, you know, I guess the other plot point here is the fact that Hagar comes out of Orion and she turns back into Anerva. Mm hmm. And that is just chilling, okay? Yeah. Frankly, I was, when we saw those glimpses of what she was doing on Orion, did you notice that when she was in that chamber with the statues of the, the sages of Orion, she created what looked like a wormhole on the floor as if she was finding a way around their challenge as opposed to facing them directly? Right. That's true. You know, Allura, she gave that, uh, that compass stone to the sages as sort of a gift and to show her goodwill and her giving nature. Hagar can't do that. <laughs> right. So she kind of took a shortcut there. I think she did. And, you know, she had everything that she wanted from Orion. And when she came out of there, she turns back into Nerva. And I'm just wondering, was it to prepare herself for her meeting with Lotor? And that the only way that Lotor would accept her is if she showed herself as a Nerva. Maybe. Back on Orion, though, I wonder how far she actually got. You know, Allura got further than Lotor did, submitting herself to the White Lion and being welcomed into her home, as it were. I can't imagine that Hagar would have gotten that far on her own character. Do you? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, probably not. No. No, probably not. Yeah, I mean, she certainly uh, got a facelift out of it. <laughs> but how far did she get? Did she get as far as Allura? Did she get in touch with a lot more abilities uh, as Allura seemingly has? Or what happened? Did she steal power somehow from Orion? I, I don't know. Right. So, I don't know. But the next time we see Hagar, mm -hmm. it's in The Colony. It's in the episode The Colony. Mm -hmm. And it's when... Shiro goes rogue. Right. Okay, and he just goes berserk. And it's because she basically initiates that he's the one that's going to have to bring Lotor back to her. Right. From the castle ship. Mm hmm So in order for that to happen, she needed to channel this connection that she had to the Shiro clone. 
Yeah, I mean, that... Oh, man. And when she's doing this, she looks like Hagar again. Mm-hmm. Okay? And then, of course, a little bit later on in The Black Paladins, we see Lotor meeting up with Anerva. Right. So she's back to being Anerva again. So this is something that we weren't able to ask Joachim and Lauren while they were on with us. They ran out of time. Yeah, we, we were very time-boxed in that interview. Right. But I did send out that question post-interview, and we got an answer. Okay. So the reason that Anerva was Anerva at the end of the first episode of Mega Shield, then Hagar during the colony, and then back to Anerva at the Black Paladins, here's the answer. Okay, and this is from whom? This is from Joachim and Lauren. Okay, all right. Okay. Anerva is Altaian, which means she possesses some or the appearance-altering abilities that Alora does, and used to infiltrate the Galra ship in the first season. Anerva is smart enough to know how best to utilize her identities, when to put on the Hagar guys, and when to return to her former self. As far as the majority of the Galra know, Anerva has been dead for 10,000 years. For her to suddenly show up again may not be believed or welcomed at this point. Hagar may actually have more sway within the Galra Empire than the former Empress, so Anerva makes sure to only reveal her true self to those she feels she can trust, if you can ever really trust anyone in the Galra Empire. Interesting. So that's their answer. Huh. So how about that? Uh, well, first of all, awesome. Thank you, Joachim and Lauren, for that answer. <laughs> yes. I would never have made that connection myself. Yeah, so I, I know that there may have been people guessing, well, wait a minute, she turned to Anerva in the first one. Is she, isn't she just going to stay that way? Uh, no, apparently she can go back and forth from Anerva to Hagar at will. And, of course, she only wants to show Hagar to certain people and Anerva to other certain people. <laughs> and, of course, what happens when she shows Anerva to Lotor, he rejects her. I, I'm sorry, my brain's wrapping around the answer. I just heard that for the first time. So going back as far as season one and before, the Hagar visage is just a facade. Yeah. That she can turn on and off at will. Yeah, but it, it made it seem like turning back to Anerva was a result of being at Orion. Yeah, I thought that. I, I thought that because we never saw any glimpse of Hagar, of Anerva when Hagar was by herself at any point prior to season six. So uh, that's very surprising to me. Uh, but it would shed a little bit of light on why Hagar looked like, well, no, let's think about that a bit more. When we saw <laughs> Hagar's flashbacks of Lotor being born, she sure looked like Hagar to me. Yeah, but do you remember the times that she was looking in what looked like a mirror almost, but it was like a, a, a magic mirror? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she was seeing glimpses of her former self. Yeah, I just assumed that she was re her memories were reawakening, and that you know her memories were reawakening. So it wasn't a literal, you know, a physical mirror reflecting on what she looked like, but rather what she was beginning to see herself as. You know. Yeah, like I said, I think she can pull back the guise and put it back at will. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, because she didn't even remember that she was Zarkon's wife. Until after she did that mind meld with him at, in season three, right? Right. But it was after that that we started seeing her pulling that back a little bit, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yes, it was. I just, huh. 
So it still begs the question, when did she forget that she was a Nerva? Yeah. I, I assume she did it when she had her ugly face on. <laughs> <laughs> the wind changed, she was stuck with it, and lost her memory. And then at some point, during the mind meld, if you will, she gets her memory back and begins to sort of realize that she uh, looked very different at some point in her past. Right. Hmm. Interesting. And then during season five, she remembers that Lotor is her son. Yeah. Right before Zarkon gets killed. My goodness. So, yeah, now I need to rewatch the entire series again <laughs> just to piece together all this Hagar stuff. Okay. <laughs> right. The Hagar whole thing here, and of course, at the end, like I said, she has the meeting with Lotor. She starts to say how she wouldn't expect that he would understand or anything, that she wasn't, you know, being Hagar and everything. She wasn't able to be any kind of a mother, but... He has sort of followed in her footsteps anyway, in Anerva's footsteps. Mm -hmm. And as she's saying this, he starts getting madder and madder, and he just stops her and says, enough. And that's it. And he says, basically, you're an abomination, and everything that you claim to be, you're not, and... Yeah, I completely reject you. In fact, you know, you should watch out for yourself because I'm going to come after you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, and is the big hope, or not hope, but to me that is uh, the big warning bell that uh, we have not seen the last of Lotor. Yeah. I'm kind of wondering, and, you know, obviously he motions to Aksha. Aksha fires on Nerva and she just disappears. Mm-hmm. But she's not dead. Oh, of course not. She just went somewhere else. Yeah. And that's the last we see her in season six. Yep. So the whole Anerva Hagar thing kind of ends with all those things. Yep. So we'll come back to these during the, uh, the individual season episode reviews. So that was an interesting turn of events, and I wanted to make sure that we got that answer that we didn't get in the Joaquim and Lauren interview. Man, I... I... <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Sorry, that just completely blows my mind. Uh, that's all new to me. So. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go back a little bit later on. We're going to be talking about, we had talked about this with Joaquim and Lauren, but there's three new uh, characters in this season that we knew from Voltron Defender of the Universe. Yeah. And two of them are literally, their names are carried over. The third is uh, a bit of a leap, but not much. <laughs> and these are other uh, characters, one of whom in particular, uh, a lot of long time and even new to Voltron fans have sort of anticipated, and that is Romel. Right. So people were thinking that maybe the, the character they had seen as the archer, the elven archer from Monsters and Mana, some people had thought maybe that was Romel. Right. And when they had seen a preview picture of that on Netflix, it really wasn't. It ended up being Alora's character for a and d type game called Monsters and Mana. Right. And I, I, for one, am glad that this Romel is not a uh, near identical copy, if you will, of Alora uh, as she was in Defender of the Universe. I mean, that was a different narrative. I think that when we're in a world where you have, where we've already seen uh, how many Shiro's now, if you count the, uh, we'll get to this later, but uh, when you count all those different pods that have sh had Shiro's in them toward the end of this season, uh, you've got those, you've got Sven, you've got the alternate realities and all that. I'm really glad we didn't have a copy of Allura in any way. <laughs> right. Lauren had referred to her as a doppelganger of 
Alora, but in the original series, uh, Lotor was just basically, he was fascinated by anybody who looked like Alora. Yes, or uh, anyone who looked like his mother. <laughs> right, and his mother happened to look like Alora, right? Yeah, that's Golion more than right. Voltron, but yeah, yeah, Right, yeah. I mean, just, there were so many Aloras back in the original series. <laughs> Uh, yes, we should call them the Alluroids, but yeah. Because in this series, in Voltron Legendary Defender, because Lotor wasn't, you know, obsessed with Alora, basically, you know, things happened more naturally in this series. Oh, yeah. And of course, we'll get to this, <laughs> some of that yet in this season. Yes, we will. Yeah, because it didn't go that way. There was no reason for Ramel to be exactly like Alora. Right. And when I mentioned two characters who are names were brought over, the other would be Ramel's younger brother, Bandor. Bandor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll talk about what they were all about in Defender of the Universe in our retro segment, which we'll get to later. But uh, yeah, so we've had uh, Ramel and Bandor show up. And then the third of these is a nanny, and that would be Dyak. Yeah, the governess. Mm-hmm. And in this case, the the previous nanny was uh, Alora's nanny. Right, in, in Defender of the Universe. But in this one, it's Lotor's nanny. Yep. Which he refuses to call a nanny. He calls her a governess, and Lance just can't stop calling her a nanny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is she going to put you to bed and read a bedtime story? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so when I did some review for the retro segment here at the end, I spun back through and was watching some of the different appearances of Ramel and Bandor and Nanny, and her intro in Defend of the Universe is hilarious, absolutely hilarious, on par, I think, with uh, with what we got here in Legendary Defender. Good stuff. Yeah, uh, what we find out in Omega Shield, though, is that she instructed Lotor in Galra Customs, the Art of War, and you can't find a better teacher than Dayak. And this really is something that interests Hunk. Yeah. So Hunk got some meaty story stuff this season. Yeah. So the funny thing is before the season came out, they had introduced that picture, that screenshot where Lotor is talking to Hunk over his shoulder. Mm -hmm. Basically, what he's really saying is, is you couldn't find a better teacher than Dayak. And there were so many things that people had done as memes for that. You know, just so many ideas about... You know, they they had it in in mind that he was saying something evil to Hunk, and Hunk was just like, oh, man, I better watch my P's and Q's, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> right. But it, it was just something very innocent, really. Mm -hmm. So basically what was happening here is the Civil War is continuing. Uh, Sendak is putting together a group and a faction called the Fire of Purification. Yes, that's right. I can't believe he's he's named his own faction. Yeah, he sure doesn't seem like a, a Hagar puppet at this point. He he actually named his own faction. Yeah. Basically, it's coming up to the astral conflux. What is the astral conflux? I don't know. <laughs> but I think this is the third or fourth time we've had a reference to a conflux or an astral conflux. I don't know. It reminds me of, like, the changing of the seasons, you know. But the solstice? Solstice, yeah. Summer solstice, yeah. yeah, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, astral conflux reminds me of solstice then. Yeah, sounds about right. But at the astral conflux, Lotor is addressing his people, and he goes out on all the videos everywhere across the whole Galra nation and addresses his people basically saying that anybody who opposes us will pay for their insolence. 
that's a very different low tour than we're accustomed to, isn't it? Yeah, it, it wasn't the same low tour that was saying we need to get people to become loyal to us, not by enslaving them, but by working with them. Right. And yeah, this is completely different. Plus, uh, Hunk goes through this little training with Dayak, and he learns what Threpit Saw means. Yes. Which it means killing thrust. Mm-hmm. And this is something he gets to use later. His knowledge, not a killing thrust. <laughs> no, but he gets to say Repit Saw later. Right, right. There was also a couple of clues that had gone out before the trailer was actually released for season six. Mm -hmm. One of those clues was that a character defines the true weakness of another set of characters. And what it was was Sendak was saying, I know your true weakness. And he's talking to the Voltron team. And he says, you value the lives of others. Mm -hmm. And so we found out what that clue meant. Yep. So Sendak is back in this episode, but that's the last we see of him for the whole season, right? Right. And that's and there's so much going on in this season that uh, I don't see how they could have possibly fit him in in a natural way. <laughs> right. But there's there's some very interesting things that happen in this episode, okay? Number one, Hunk, he's just in control the whole episode. I love how this is a completely hunk episode oh yes thank you writers thank you so much hunk is my favorite character and i love when he finally gets a spotlight and it has nothing to do with food thank you <laughs> right and when he snaps at that commander and that lieutenant and it gets them to to come together to fight as one with the galra mm -hmm. man that is just so awesome yeah at one point when he's trying to push the omega shield back together again he gets new thrusters for Yellow Lion. Mm -hmm. It's pretty cool. Yeah, he's definitely on his game in this episode. And of course, Lance and Allura are trying to pull these things together and, and get them to stay together. And at one point, something happens and Lance sacrifices himself for Allura. Yeah, that's kind of a big deal. And it looks like he's in really bad shape, just like he did when he sacrificed himself for Koran. Yep, back in season one. And they both had to do with Sendak. What's up with that? <laughs> I don't know, man. But Alora again, uses her power to bring him back. Yeah, so she's basically showing some kind of empathic ability. And I don't mean it in the sense of detecting somebody's emotions, but uh, the idea of healing. A lot of times an empath transfers their injuries to themselves, but Alora seems to be able to conquer that as well. But yeah, that's... Uh, it's like she's a she's just a walking bag of tricks, doesn't she? Yeah. <laughs> These powers just come out of nowhere. I, I I don't know how she does it. I don't either, but uh, I'll have what she's having. Yeah. Pretty much that episode was, was really cool. Oh, yeah. One thing that surprised me in two different ways was how Shiro reacts to his visions of Hagar. And when I say two ways, the first time I watched the season, I thought, Gee, that's weird. He's not saying anything about what he's seeing. Oh, well, they're all really busy. He probably just doesn't have time. He doesn't want to be distracted. But thinking about it again and going back through the episode again, I wonder if this is just a sign of his mind going the direction of Hagar. I mean, it's him seeing it, and it might not be him deciding not to be distracted by it and focusing on the mission at hand. It might be, yes, there's Hagar doing something. Hagar's my boss deep down inside. I'm not going to do anything because, you know, why am I going to mess up whatever she's doing? You know what I mean? Yeah, but then on the the part of the people that are seeing this happening to him, like Pidge in particular, not saying anything about it, there was some serious stuff going on there with him. She had to pull his hand back to the controls so that it would 
you know, power that shield. Yeah, there's, there's. Yeah. And she didn't say anything. Yeah, there was some passivity there. A little too much, I think. Yeah, and that comes back again later on when he goes rogue and she's able to stop him and she doesn't. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> Man. Yeah. But then you have to go back and you have to look at, remember the time that uh, he first told her that he knew that she was Katie and everything and they hugged and everything. And I keep on thinking back to that and that's what must be going through her head when she's like, this guy means everything to me. There's no, there's no reason I would fire on him. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, these, these characters all have very complex emotions when it comes to one another. So I can understand the indecision and stuff. But yeah, I mean, as a viewer, you, it's like, come on, Pidge, get on it. Get on with this, you know. Right. <laughs> Uh, but the same with Shiro. I mean, you know, and that's why I was sort of questioning why he was letting this go as much as he was, because, you know, he's normally so on point with everything. But, you know, he's got a lot going on in his head, doesn't he? <laughs> and it's not him. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we go to Razor's Edge. Yep. And this is really about Keith and Crolia. And, and we get a huge backstory on Keith and Crolia and his dad. And just how he came to know where the Blue Lion is, all this kind of stuff. I mean, there's a lot going on in this one. And and I got to tell you, as I, as I mentioned to Joaquin during our interview, I love how they presented all this. They could have just had Crolia gabbing on and on and on about how it all happened. But using this weird, the space-time thing as they go through the quantum abyss. yeah. Using that as an excuse for having him see all these things happen, and, and of course having us see it, rather than have Crowley just sit there and talk about it. Uh, I thought that was a really effective way to do that. Yeah, and space fish. Yeah, yeah. You know, and of course they have their own atmosphere, and you can get food off of it, and all this kind of stuff, and you can basically live there, rent-free. Yeah, I mean, hey! <laughs> for two years! I, I just wonder if they had a, any access to tartar sauce while they were on that fish. Well, I'm thinking to myself, this is pretty much the life. Why would they want to go anywhere else? <laughs> well. Plus, they got their own pet, the wolf. That's true. The blue wolf. How much did he really age? Because they were on the fish for two years. Yeah, it was two years. Yeah, but they had also been leapfrogging across the different, uh, you know, through the space until they landed on the fish. Was there any time dilation or anything there? And then when they were on the uh, Neo Altea, whatever you want to call it, how much time passed outside that planet? And then when they hopped in the pod and left, how much time passed then? I mean, well, let's just say this, that they're at least two to three years older than everybody else now. Yeah, yeah. And when Keith is first seen by Lance, Lance automatically reacts, does he look bigger to you? He looks bigger to me. I don't know if he means bigger, bigger, or bigger, older, or, you know, I didn't get the sense that Keith was larger. Did you? He looked taller. His arms certainly looked a bit longer. I mean, they weren't full Gara length, but they did look longer than I'm used to seeing. And his uh, his skin color seemed to have gone just a bit purple. Did you notice that? Maybe a little bit, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't full, you know, you know full, full purple, but uh, his skin color did look a little different. Yeah, maybe as a result of being half Galra, he doesn't show most of his Galra side until he gets older. Yeah, yeah. Until he's fully grown, maybe. I don't know. It's not like we have half Galra people that we can look at and say, you know, when did you get all your Galra parts? 
Yeah, certainly not Lotor or Aksha or Ezor or Zethra or Nardi. <laughs> or when did you start peeing purple? <laughs> yeah, good point. Touche. <laughs> all right, so so basically here here's the thing. We learn a lot about Crowley and Keith through all this. And basically my first thing is that they're out looking for other lions because Sendak had already found the red lion at this point. Mm-hmm. Okay, and she's out with another Galra, and she ends up fighting with him, and then crash landing on Earth, right, right in Keith's dad's backyard, mm-hmm. and he pulls her ship open and everything, and is able to save her life. Yeah, not knowing who she is and everything, or you know all that kind of stuff, but he ends up falling in love with her. Yeah, so an alien ship from space crashes on a farm. Where a farm guy finds out. I, I got a, a little bit of a Superman vibe from that. You know what I mean? Well, it was awesome. Well, it's not just Superman. Don't forget Men in Black. Oh, that's true. Okay. The Edgar suit guy. Okay. He was a farmer and the spaceship crash landed in, in his yard. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it didn't end so well for Edgar, though. <laughs> when Keith ends up coming along, the first name that she wants to call him is Urak. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, which is yeah. So, so let's uh, let's fill in the new to Voltron fans. That's a fun Easter egg to Voltron Defender of the Universe because the character that we know from Legendary Defender called Sendak is based on a Go Lion character called Sadak, who was adapted into Voltron as Urak. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that's a fun little Easter egg. So they've been using a lot of Voltron names. Okay, they used Rumel. They used Bandor. Now they're using Urak in this scene. And I just thought it was great. And his his dad, of course, says, how about we call him Keith? Yeah. <laughs> now, there were, there were people that were trying to guess how these names came about and everything. Alfor and Alora, Keith and Crolia. But now you find out that Crolia really didn't name Keith. It was his dad that named him. Yep. So just happened to be that it was the same letter, you know, that it starts with. So, yeah... What we find out is Crolia starts a new mission after she gets involved with Keith's dad, and that's to protect the Blue Lion. Right. Because they got access to the Blue Lion, even though they couldn't get into the Blue Lion. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That particle barrier is still up, but they want to protect the Blue Lion from when the Galra come knocking on the door. Right. And one day it ends up happening, and both Crolia and Keith's dad go out to keep them from getting anywhere. She has some explosives and stuff like that. He ends up getting, what, shot? Yeah. And he's the one who's supposed to pull the trigger on on the explosives. And then she ends up attacking a bunch of them, and then the one guy holds her up, and she drops her knife and then grabs it and then throws it, and then all this kind of stuff happens. And then she ends up trying to chase the guy who's getting back into his Galra ship, and then the Garl ship explodes in space because Keith's dad actually pressed the trigger. Yep. But then she brings him, nurses him back to health, but then she says she's got to go because she can better protect both of them the best way she can is by joining up with the Blades of Marmora. Yeah, what a heck of a story. I mean, it, it, all of that packed into 20-odd minutes. It's like the legend begins when they when they gave the full history of the original Paladins and the, the beginning of the rift between Zarkon and Alphor, the beginning of the rift at Dinosaur, 
and all that stuff. I mean, packing so much material in one episode is just astounding. I, I It's hard to absorb it all. Yeah, and at the end, they end up getting to the end of the abyss and finding the Altaian colony. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One other thing that happened during that episode that I want to bring up. Mm-hmm. Lance tells the space mice how he likes Alora. Yeah. He says that she makes me want to be a better person. But what am I going to be able to do? I'm just a boy from Cuba. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this is the first time he mentions Cuba, right? Um, On the show? Yeah, it's the first time he mentions the name of the country. Although he did mention coming from Verdera Beach, which is in Cuba. In Cuba, right. 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 Okay. And then later on, Alora's with the space mice, and they tell her what Lance told them. Mm-hmm. At least what they were awake for. <laughs> right. So now he's sort of addressed his feelings towards Alora through the space mice. Yeah. So that's going to be a weird dynamic. <sighs> yeah. Especially with what's going on with Lotor. Yeah. I mean, Lance, Lance has been flirting with her from moment one. But this is the first time that she's gotten any inkling that what he feels simply some kind of physical attraction. This is a, kind of a big deal. This could go, I mean, you know, I don't want to go down the whole shipper route at this point because I'm, I'm neutral about ships. Yeah. They're all cool. Hey, have fun. Let's just all play nicely together. But, you know, I, I don't know if any of our listeners have been in the situation where someone confesses to you that they've got feelings for you and, and maybe... Maybe you've entertained that yourself before you learned this fact, or maybe it comes at you completely out of left field and you have that awkward, I just want to be friends, or maybe you want to explore something more or whatever, whichever side of that conversation you might've been on, it, it is an awkward, awkward exchange. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <sighs> anyway. So that's going to come to play a little bit later on in the season too. Oh yeah. So the third episode was Monsters and Mana. Mm -hmm. which we've already talked about a little bit, but I, I just wanted to get into a couple of things that were sort of pointed out, I think, in this episode. Hunk's a mage. He's like a healer, protector. Yeah, he's called Block the Sorcerer, but yeah, he's a healer. Right. Pidge is Mechlevar the Dwarf. Right. Shiro is Shiro the Paladin. <laughs> Takashi Shirogani. He doesn't change his name. That's right. And he doesn't change who he is. <laughs> That's right. So he's really good. At and that's what everybody gets upset about every single time he plays. <laughs> he just wants to keep being the paladin. Well, the funny thing is, it, arguably, he, he's role-playing every day anyway. Yeah. As a Karone, um, but, you know, I, I, I don't know. It is funny. And then, of course, Karan is the war master, which in D&D would be called the dungeon master. Mm -hmm. And, of course, he plays that really awkward innkeeper. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, then Alora joins the uh, joins the party as a mystical archer, and Lance is Pike, a cat-like thief. Right, and he calls himself a ninja assassin, of course. Yeah, I think he just has an all-over five o'clock shadow. A, a five o'clock shadow? Yeah, an all-over five o'clock shadow. Okay. <laughs> you know, one thing that they mentioned in here, and, and I don't know if everyone caught up on this, but uh, at some point, Hunk says that they need to cross the Weebian swamps. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but the executive in charge of production of Voltron Legendary Defender is David Weeb. Ooh. So Weebian Swamps is directly <laughs> penned from David Weeb. Nice. Thank you for uh, giving David Weeb a, a part in this story. Yeah. And of course, uh, Lance uh, mentions the Alexian Pearl. Yes. When they talk about a 20-sided dice... <laughs> He thinks that the 20-sided dice should be the same size as a Yalexian Pearl, which we saw in the comics. 
Yeah, we saw that in, was it volume two or volume one? I don't remember. I think it was volume one. Okay. All right. Well, in any case, <laughs> um, this may be a case where, you know, they, they found the term and decided to uh, to just expand on it in the comic, because I'm sure they wrote this episode way before they wrote the comic. Right. But uh, yeah, that was fun. It was fun that Lance picked up on that. Uh, it was also funny that Lance had no idea that a 20-sided dice could be small. <laughs> yeah. And the mount that, that Alora calls, it looks like it's from the never-ending story, doesn't it? Yeah, it did. Falcor. <laughs> yeah. Mm, love it. So that was cool. And I like how they wonder how they're going to get through the wall. And Lance says, why don't we just knock? And do you remember what that was from? Uh, was it Lord of the Rings? When he first came in contact with Blue Lion and, and he saw the, oh. the protective barrier and everything, he said, let's just try knocking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and then it opened up. And he thought it was because of the knocking. Yeah, I was just thinking of Lord of the Rings, where uh, they're trying to get into uh, the land of the dwarfs, whatever that's called. And they were outside that secret entrance, and they were trying to, whatever they could do to get in. They had to use Elvish, right? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. But I, I, I thought maybe somebody had tried to knock there, too. Right. But in any case, yeah, yeah, there's definitely a Voltron precedence. Yeah. But at, at some point, all of the characters get their rewards, mm -hmm. you know, so to speak. And Shiro ends up getting the blazing sword, <laughs> which was totally cool. Oh, yeah. And I love the way when he died, he came back as Jiro the paladin. <laughs> yeah, the what was it, the twin brother? Yeah, they just can't stop duplicating Shiro. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway. Oh, so that, that was fun because they had even given a reason as to why they were able to sit around and play Monsters and Mana. Mm -hmm. everybody had an excuse as to why they had the time. <laughs> yeah. It was a kind of neat episode just away from everything else that had been going on. And I love, love, love that Shiro got to let his hair down as much as he ever can, especially with what comes up later this season. It was nice to see. Oh, yeah. And, you know, we, we talk about, oh, this is an imposter. He's not real. Uh, Hagar's controlling him. But really? Not really. At least not yet. You know, he's he's been manipulated here and there, but at his core, he's just as much Shiro as the original, isn't he? Yeah. That makes this really kind of tragic. I mean, you know, the Shiro fans, I can only imagine the 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 heck that this season might have taken you through. But, uh, I mean, we're going to get into to what happens here later. But I, I feel as bad about Karon Shiro's loss as I do about original Shiro disappearing in season two, you know? Wow. It's kind of sad. I mean, we'll get to that, but well, uh. well, yeah, we'll get to that. But the one thing that we didn't have to deal with was the clone recognizing that he wasn't the real Shiro and dealing with that. Oh yeah, can you imagine? Ugh. Yeah, we didn't have to go through that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because that was taken away from us by basically Keith lopping off of his arm, and and then you know he's out of it when. Alora is able to get the essence of the real Shiro back into his body. Right. So we didn't have to put up with, you know, having to face a, a clone recognizing that he's not the real thing. So, opinion question. Yeah. Was that an easy way out? No. I, From a writing perspective. Okay. Yeah, that would have been a really difficult thing to deal with. A, on a personal issue, on, on an emotional issue. I mean, just... That's tough stuff right there. Yeah. I Can you imagine getting into the head of someone in that situation? Ugh. 
yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to think that you're that actual person and then have to come to grips with the fact that you're not. Yeah. So my favorite film was Blade Runner, Ridley Scott's Blade Runner. And yeah. the character of Rachel, when she learns for the first time that she is a replicant and that all of her memories belong to Eldon Tyrell's niece. It's a very brief moment in the movie when she, when you actually see her dealing with it. But, oh, my gosh, her acting, Sean Young's acting is phenomenal. And I can only uh, imagine what poor Shiro would have gone through if he'd experienced that. Yeah, I can imagine. All right, so let's move on to the colony. All right. Basically, Lotor's ship's ready for testing. They they get the infracells up, the dynatherms connected, megathrusters are go. <laughs> and we loved hearing that again, didn't we? Oh, yeah, that's fun. And they actually said infracells for the first time. Yes. When they launched the Castle of Lions way back in season one. Yes. They cut to an outside shot of the castle. When they would have said infracells up back in season one, they cut to an exterior shot of the castle. There was enough time for them to have said it, but we didn't hear it. Right. <laughs> So this time we got to, and that was fun. Okay. Alora's on her way towards the quintessence field gate, and Lance has to say, get back safe, mm-hmm. you know, and he has to give his little thing there because she's going out somewhere alone with Lotor. So they enter the quintessence field, and after they go into the quintessence field, the castle ship is approached by an Altaian pod, and it's Keith. Yep. And this is the part where Lance says he looks bigger. Right. And he lands in the castle ship, and this is where we meet Ramel and Crolia and this blue wolf. <laughs> yeah. They've got their own pet. Yeah. Okay, so Keith starts telling them all about how uh, Lotor's been lying to them, and they wonder what about and everything, and they've got this person, Ramel, who can tell the whole story, so Keith lets her tell the whole story. Right. So... Karan was the one that thought that him and Alora were the only Altaians left. But there were some Altaians off-planet on trade route expeditions. Yeah, this this actually, to me, I, I thought this way back in season one. As soon as they said, uh, as Alora was talking uh, about uh, how Altaians could shapeshift to be better explorers, and they were good diplomats and all this stuff, I kept thinking, if they explore space, there's got to be Altaians who weren't on Altea. Exactly. Yeah, so it finally paid off here. So you were right. Woohoo! It's about time. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but as it turns out, Lotor approached some of these Altaians and was able to convince them that he found a place where they could be safe from the Galra. And as he showed them this, this new colony, they started worshipping Lotor as their savior. Oh my. But then after a while, he gives them this series of tests and he says there's this other colony for these special people to go to. But there can't be communication between the two colonies. That's strictly prohibited. And, of course, Ramel is, is very skeptical of all this, while Bandor wants to go along with it. And it, at one of these tests, he gets chosen. Mm-hmm. And he goes, but he leaves her with a communicator. And one night, she hears him on the communicator, and he tells her that he crash-landed in the forest outside the town. And she goes to him, she finds him on his ship, and he says the other colony was all a lie. And then he dies. And then immediately Lotor and some of his soldiers are there to clean up the whole thing and make it look like it never happened. Yeah. Gosh, that was rough. 
Yeah. I mean, it, not just because he was so young and died, and you don't often see, you know, people pass in front of you. It just doesn't happen a whole lot in this show. A lot of it is done a little more subtly, but uh, Bandor in Voltron Defender made it through the entire show. He was never killed off. He was always there from the moment he uh, debuted right up till near the end of the series. And this was quite a sucker punch to uh, old school fans, at least. I mean, it's tragic enough if you've never met this character because he's so young and who wants to see someone that young die? But uh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So Ramel, she meets up with Keith and Crolia, who she thinks this is her chance to finally find out what's going on with that other colony. Mm-hmm. She's able to give them access to a pod, which he can fly to the other colony. And they find that Altaeans are being harvested for their quintessence. Ugh. Wow. Yeah, that Lotor, we knew he was kind of a scum. Well, maybe we didn't know, but uh, there's more to him than that the eye. But after she tells this story, they're all convinced, well, what are we going to do? Are we going to let them back on the ship? And as they're coming back, Ramel wants them to fire on the ship, but Lance is like, no, Alora's on that ship, and Shiro's, you know, trying to keep everybody a level head and say, look, we need to let them land and, and come onto the ship, but as soon as Alora's out of the way, we're going to grab Lotor. Yeah. So they come on, and Alora doesn't want to get out of the way, and she demands to, to know what's going on. Well, what happened before they confronted Lotor? Alora Lotor kissed? Oh, yeah, I forgot. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's kind of a big deal. <laughs> They're coming off the ship, and they're floating down on that little pad that allows them to get down. And, yeah, they kissed. And, oh. man. <laughs> mm-hmm. It makes you wonder if Alora has ever watched Voltron Defender of the Universe. <laughs> <laughs> Come on! <laughs> so, she goes from being hot and heavy for him. <laughs> yeah. Right into this area where everybody wants to kill Lotor. <laughs> Yeah. But the thing that really triggers it for for Lotor is Ramel just having another Altaian there that was on that colony and she's able to tell the true story of what yeah the look that Lotor gives to Ramel when he sees her. Yeah. He would have never guessed that anybody from the team would have ever been able to find one of those Altaians. Yeah. That was the one, one of the very first times, and certainly the, in the biggest way, that he's ever been caught off guard. Exactly. He seems so shocked. Yep. And he tries to explain it away like uh, they were martyrs, you know, for a bigger cause, and there had to be a few sacrifices in order to save millions more and all that kind of stuff. But he tries to grab Alora's hand, and she just grabs it, and she throws him down. Mm-hmm. Go, Alora. And it's at that point that Shiro ends up going berserk and he throws Hunk into Karen. He goes after Lance. He just knocks everybody out basically and grabs Lotor and gets out of there because what happens to trigger that all on is the castle ship is being attacked by the generals. Right. And the generals are able to get on the castle ship somehow. And they go down to the hangar where those people are, and Ezor starts firing on people, so Pidge isn't able to get in, Keith's not able to get in, and Shiro goes in with Lotor and grabs the pod, and that's the part where Pidge is able to stop him, but she doesn't. Right. And he gets away. But at the end, they say, okay, we need to form Voltron, how are we going to do that? And Keith says, I could do that. Yep. (laughs) 
he's back in Black Lion, mm-hmm. and they form Voltron, and the episode ends. Yes, it's one of those ending right, right when the battle's about to start. Right. So we've seen that happen a couple times, and it actually happens a couple times this season alone. Yep. Where Voltron is formed, and then the episode ends. Yep. There's no time to breathe. There's no time to uh, have a potty break. This season <laughs> is, other than the uh, Monsters of Mana episode, this season is on. Yes. And, and there's not a moment that you can breathe. We're coming up to an episode now that we had talked about with Joaquin and, and Lauren that Joaquin wrote. Right. I don't know if you had seen Danya Abramo's write-up on Hypable about her review of season six, the spoiler-free review. I've actually been avoiding any of that stuff until after we record this episode. I wanted to have us talk about this without being affected by other people's thoughts yet. You know what I mean? Okay. So, yeah, but I will be reading Danya's and Seamus's and many others. Right. Well, I just wanted to let you know, Danya really loved the Black Paladins. I mean, she loved Monsters and Mana, but I think she loved the Black Paladins more that she had to even go back and see it a couple times, even after she had written the article. Oh, wow. Nice. (laughs) That's how much she loves the Black Paladins. Yeah. Gosh, it's a great episode. So with Joaquin, you know, driving the, the writing on this one, they have their ships, right? Lotor's ships and Shiro's in the pod with Lotor. And while they're fighting the ships and everything, all of a sudden a wormhole opens up. But it's not the typical colored wormhole. Right. It's a purple one. Yeah, it's the same color that we saw Hagar use back in the first episode of the season. Right, and that's what triggers Allura to say Hagar has something to do with this. Yeah. So the ships are flying through it. They want to try to get Voltron through it to chase them. Mm Mm-hmm. But they're going as fast as they can, and they realize they're not going to make it. And Keith says to the rest of the team, let's break apart the lions, and that should trigger Black Lion to go faster through it. Yep. Did you ever notice, and my wife pointed this out, by the way. Okay. Did you ever notice it takes them a while to get Voltron together? Yes. And they're pretty well locked in tight, right? Yeah. But when they have to come apart, they come apart like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, but there, back in season one, uh, it was one of the Balmera episodes where there's a uh, Gaurav battle cruiser that's firing its ion cannon at the Castle of Lions, and Laura says, "Oh, we only have so many seconds. It just seems like a ridiculously short time." And then we're toast. And then, and then there's just a little bit of banter back and forth. Okay, let's throw Voltron, and they throw Voltron in obviously much longer than whatever. Alora had said she needed their help in whatever that period of time was, and they saved the day, of course. And it, it makes me wonder if the time that we see them forming Voltron, you know, it, it's done for dramatic effect, but in the real world, maybe it only takes a few seconds. You know what I mean? Yeah. Especially because we don't hear anybody say form, feet, and legs, which is real time stuff. Right. You know what I mean? It might just be some drawn out, dramatized kind of thing. Yeah this coming apart thing happens like in a split second. Oh yeah. It does bolt black lion forward, but now black lion is separated from the rest of the group. Yep. And when black lion comes out on the other side, there's a whole Galra fleet there. Whoops. Whoops. Yeah. Aksha says she's going to take care of this one. And she tells the others to get the Shiro and the Lotor back inside. There's this weird moment where Zethrid takes Lotor and Ezor's left with the clone Shiro. 
Yeah, and he's just standing there kind of like an automaton, yeah. He's not moving, and she says, is it broken? And she touches <laughs> his face with her finger. <laughs> yeah, and he does nothing. Yeah, so <laughs> that was just weird. Yeah. But there was also a weird moment there where Lotor, as soon as they come in the door, he says, Azor, Zethrid. <laughs> but then Black Lion knocks into the door, and it was just for a split second, but it was a weird reconnection of those guys. Yeah, that was funny. But this is where Anerva, she basically tells the Shiro clone to lead Keith away. Yep. And what the rest of the fleet does is goes into hyperspace. And so now this is the part where Anerva meets up with Lotor. Yep. And she calls him my son, which surprises the generals, by the way. Did you notice that? Right. Yeah, they didn't know what the heck was going on. They didn't know that. But she starts talking about how he continued her work, and he says, you're an abomination, you know, and a twisted perversion of everything that was once beautiful. So he says the end is coming for you, which... Yeah. Do you think he's going to follow through on that? I I think he's going to try. <laughs> By the end of this series, huh? Oh, yes. I think that moment is inevitable, and you don't make a claim like that without following up on it as a writer. So uh, I really think that uh, something's going to hit the fan later. But there's also another thing between Oxford and Keith in this episode where she has, you know, the ability to fire on him, and she doesn't. Yeah, there's something. there's something more there than... I owe you one. I don't think it's like a romantic thing, but there's something there. And that's one of those unresolved ones still. Right. Okay, because we talk about some of the things that get resolved in season six. Mm -hmm. That's one of those things that doesn't. Right. And it keeps on getting dragged on. Yep. So the next episode was All Good Things. Mm -hmm. And this is where Keith finds the real Shiro in the Black Lion's consciousness. And the Shiro character says that since the fight with Zarkon, he disappeared, his physical form is gone, and he says, I died, Keith. What did you think when you heard him say that? I know, I mean, it was just so weird. It was it was like uh, Yoda becoming one with the Force, or Luke becoming one with the Force, you know what I mean? Just anybody who became one with the Force, you know, it was just... <laughs> yeah. It's just, you know, how the Black Lion retained his essence. Yeah. And was keeping it, but there was the one time that he tried to warn them, and he said his connection wasn't strong, and then he faded away. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking the connection that he wasn't strong with was Lance. Right. And I think he has a stronger connection with Keith. Yeah, well, he, his connection with Lance was certainly stronger than it was with uh, any of the other ones who were there. Right. But yeah, Keith, of course, would have been the natural uh, the natural link. And of course, there's some follow-up here because he, he links with Keith here. Oh, I forgot to mention something in the Black Paladins. Okay. <laughs> What's that? The fight between Keith and the clone. Oh, yeah, let's cover that. Jeez, yeah. Yeah, let's go before we go to all good things. <laughs> okay, so in the Black Paladins, obviously, Keith chases after Shiro and... They get to a point where it looks like it's one of those cloning facilities, doesn't it? Yeah. Yep. He eventually finds what looks like some clones of Shiro. A lot of clones of Shiro. In cases, in in these like tubes, right? Yep. They look like uh, kind of like the pod that sh that sends on the Castle of Lions. The pod that Sendak was in in the Castle of Lions. Yeah, I remember he was there, and Shiro was in, was in trying to interrogate him, and it was in Crystal Venom, and he was kind of spooked. It looked like one of those kinds of pods to me, just somewhat. Yeah, that had to startle him a little bit. 
for Keith. Oh, yeah. But then he sees Shiro, and Shiro starts talking to him in an evil way. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty evil. Yeah. So they start fighting. Of course, they go back and forth all over the place. At one point, Shiro's arm starts really lighting up and, like, tears off half of the, <laughs> the whole facility. You know what I mean? Yeah. But then Keith is able to jump down into these other areas, and eventually he's like hanging over the edge and he pulls himself up but then he sees his his sword sticking in the ground and he tries to reach for it and he's too tired and then the shiro character comes down and he's about to bring his his sword down on keith and keith blocks it with his marmora sword and they start having some words like he he should just give up you know the rest of your team's dead now i made sure of that and, and this is this is very non shiro stuff Oh, yeah. For all the pep talk of, you know, I'll never give up on you, and, you know, patience heals focus, and all the rest of that awesome uh, Shiro-ness, there's none of that here. And Keith says, you're my brother, I love you, and Mm -hmm. makes him pause for a second, but then he says, you should just let go, and then Keith just, I don't know where he gets the strength from, but then he pulls up his Black Bayard sword and his Marmora sword at the same time, and he's able to chop off Shiro's arm. Yeah. Just don't mess with Keith when he's got both of those swords at the same time. No. Leave him alone. (laughs) (laughs) But then things start falling apart, and he's hanging on for dear life with just his blade of Marmora blade, and he's holding on to Shiro, but then he can't hold on any longer, and they both drop. And that's when he starts having visions of when he was younger and when Shiro was his mentor and his teacher and all that kind of stuff. And they're like outside the principal's office at the garrison and Keith had done something and Shiro tells him he's going to have to, you have to look out for yourself or something like that. And it was just something where Keith started really paying attention to, to Shiro as a, as a mentor. And you could tell that's, that's how their, the whole relationship developed. He was like the older brother type. Right. When we come into all good things, then we find out after Keith goes through the, the consciousness with, with the real Shiro, that Black Lion had actually saved Keith and the Shiro clone. Right. So they're trying to put the castle ship back together again. Karan's doing everything he can to bring the, the power back up on the ship, and Hunk's helping him, and Crowley is going to help and everything. At one point, though, he needs Alora to reboot the system, and Alora's not paying attention at all. Yeah. Lance ends up talking to her after she, she reboots it, but she ends up hugging him. Mm-hmm. I mean, he basically has to say, look, we were all fooled by Lotor, and you can't put this all on yourself. Right. And she ends up hugging him. But then Keith comes back on the screen and says that he's going to be there as soon as he can. But he has to come back from where they were, where they had wormholed out, right? So it's going to take him a while to get back. Yep. This is actually a big deal because he says it's going to take several hyper jumps. And I think this is really going to pay off in season seven. We'll see. Oh, good. Because they got to get to Earth. And Earth is way over here. Remember? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't have a teledob anymore. (laughs) So I think it's going to take a while for them to get there. Yeah, and they may have to sleep during that, right? Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Maybe. The four lions uh, end up going over to that gate that goes into the quintessence field, and they end up firing at it and destroying it. 
And then Lotor, Zethrid, Ezor, and Oxus show up in their ships, and Lotor tries to talk Alora into joining him, basically. Yeah. Alora doesn't want to have any part of him anymore. In fact, she says that you betrayed and used me. And she says, you're more like Zarkon than I could have ever imagined. Oh, that's a zinger of a line to say to him, yes. Oh, that just makes him go berserk. Yeah. And then he starts saying bad things about her father, and then he says, destroy the lions. And they just all start fighting all of a sudden. Man, he gets to one point where he's saying, and he's got this maddening look on his face. He says, I'm ready to wipe the universe of Hagar, Allura, Voltron, and all the Galra. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, yeah, he's, he's in rare form. And that's when the generals all say, okay, look, it's time for us to get out of here. Yeah. And they retreat. But then he's got something going on where he controls all the ships. And he basically jettisons them from the ships. And he's able to form his own Voltron-type robot. Right, from the three Synclon ships, right. Yeah. And this was something we had been hoping for previously, remember? Yeah, to me, this was inevitable. I mean, you know, you see Super Thing, and oh, here's another one, and we've got enough to make a third one. I mean, it, it, I have to tell you, when I when I first saw the original Synclon ship, I thought they were going to make five of them. Yeah. And it was going to be Lotor and all four generals, and they were going to make a very Voltron-like robot. This wound up being made of three parts, but uh, three parts made one really cool-looking robot. Right. So we had originally thought, how cool would it be if we had Nardi, Ezor, Zethrid, Aksha, and Lotor all part of their own Voltron? Right. But it didn't end up working out that way. We got more of a gladiator Voltron with one pilot. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> I can live with that. Yeah, but... Uh... At the end of this episode, we find out that they're really not a good match for, you know, him and the Lions. But Keith ends up showing up. He gets some extra power with some help from, I guess, Shiro's essence. Yeah, essence of Shiro. And it helps really floats up those those extra wings that, that Black Lion gets. Yeah, depending on your the resource, they're called bladed wings or ephemeral wings. But whatever the case, they helped Black Lion fly really, really fast. Yeah. Those thrusters were really going. Yes, those mega thrusters really went. That's right. Yeah. And then he catches up to them. They form Voltron. And then the episode ends. <laughs> yes, again! <laughs> yeah. And then we come to our final episode of Season 6, Defender of All Universes. Is there really such thing as universes? Well, in uh, quantum mechanics and in sci-fi, there's the concept of a multiverse where, uh, yeah, you can have uh, multiple realities all happening kind of at the same time in different, uh, whatever you want to call those things to distinguish one from another. But yes, it's possible. If, if you consider the Empress Allura slash Sven reality to be a universe, then we've already seen two. You know what I mean? Okay. So, yeah. I'm good with that, as long as we can explain that there are universes. Yes, because, you know, this show is definitely all about science. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, at the beginning of this, of course, the, it's Lotor Voltron against our Voltron, and they find out really quick that he's too fast. Yeah. At some point, they find out he's able to just, like, disappear and reappear and kick their butt all over the place. Yeah. And he's able to go within the quintessence field all on his own, without the gate. Yeah, he's basically recharging constantly. That is just freaky. 
Yeah, it was uh, this. This was one heck of a battle. So they figure out in order to be able to defeat him, they have to go in the quintessence field themselves, and they look to Alora to help them do that. So they eventually end up getting into the quintessence field, and they're in there with Lotor, and he actually admits that he underestimated her, that he didn't think she was going to be able to do that. And then they fight in there, and at one point she realizes, well, let's just give him everything he wants. Let's give him all the quintessence. And you see this, like, white beam shoot out from Voltron's V in the chest and, and just give him all this quintessence, and it just kind of overpowers him. Yeah, I mean, he. and what I really like in this episode is that he goes pretty much mad. Yes. I mean, yes. And I don't mean angry. I mean... Bat stuff, insane. I, I, I bat stuff. Yeah. Well, okay. I, I'm trying to avoid uh, four letter words, but uh, he yes. loses it, and, and and he's really at the point that uh, very similar to the point that Sincline was back in Go Lion. He's really at his end, the end of his mental rope there, and uh, wow. <laughs> I would say he even goes as far as the, as the Lotor and Voltron Force because that was pretty mad. Uh, yeah, that, I would say so, yeah. And just shows the range of A.J. Locasio. Oh, yeah. And, and the reason I mentioned uh, Sincline from Go Lion is that Sincline from Go Lion does have that final confrontation with Anerva, and in that show, he kills her. Yeah. And so I really believe that there's going to be some kind of a follow-up between Lotor and Hagar or Anerva in this show. What, How that's going to unfold, what the outcome of that will be, who knows, but... Uh, it's just too tantalizing not to have something happen. So, basically, at this point, Lotor is disabled, and Alora wants to help him and bring him out of there, but uh, they have to get out because things are starting to fall apart, and they had become overcome by the quintessence to the point where they realized that this was making them mad. Yep. So they had to get out of there. And when they finally do, what ends up happening is... There's some breaks in the time-space continuum, aren't there? Yeah, apparently uh, Lotor jumping around through uh, making his own little uh, pathways in and out of the uh, the rift or the uh, the quintessence field is uh, wreaking all kind of havoc with the universe. Yeah, so there's a bunch of holes out there and they need to close them all up. But the only way to do that, in Karan's mind, is to blow it up using the Teledav. Yep. So they all agree that they're going to sacrifice the castle ship in order to do that, and they start unpacking everything and packing them into the lions, including Kaltenecker. Mm-hmm. So Kaltenecker goes in with Lance. All the Altaians are in the blue lion, so you got Rommel and Karan and Alora all in the blue lion. Right. And then, of course, Keith in Black Lion has Krolia, and then... Hunk has lots of food. Yeah. Which is smart. I mean, obviously, Hunk tends to, to like the food stuff. Okay, that's cool. But it does have a very practical use here because they're going to need their supplies. <laughs> and, of course, the space mice were with Alora, And Pidge had her little caterpillars, right? A, a crud ton of, uh, of other clutter. Uh, her trash nebula buddies that she had made of the paladins. Yeah. And Alora and Karan. All sorts of stuff. Yeah. So, anyway, they pack everything in the lions. They end up taking care of the problem by blowing up the castle ship, basically. Yeah, I did not expect that. Did you? No. No, that was a, a big, huge thing. And now they're all, you know, they found some land to land on. And Keith is saying, 
we have this Shiro clone, but we don't have the real Shiro. And that's where Alora says, I, I know what to do. And, and she goes over to the black line. She starts using her magic and she pulls out the essence and she starts glowing all over. She walks over to Shiro, puts her hands around his head. And basically the essence of Shiro goes into the Shiro clone and he wakes up. Except his hair is all gray. Yeah. So uh, is he uh, the silver fox as uh, Joaquin and Lauren joked? Yes. Is he space granddad as I joked? Who is he? Right. So he's going to get a new nickname, I think. Yeah. Well, they decide, well, what are, the, what are they going to do next? And they mentioned that uh, Karan had given the, the plans for the castle ship to Sam, to Sam Holt. Mm-hmm. So that they could build their own when they get to Earth. And now they know... We got to go home. We got to go to Earth. Yep, and off they go. That's their plan. I was surprised by that. What, what were, were you surprised about the uh, the decision that they made to go to Earth? Well, it's a logical step. I mean, obviously they could try to go back to Alcarion, you know, mm-hmm. but they don't have the plans for making another castle ship there, and they kind of need that. Yeah, but I wonder where they're going to get the materials to build this thing. Yeah. I remember how long it took to get the skull trade and, right. and all the rest of that to do the teledove and everything else. I mean, that's the most pivotal piece of technology. Yeah, I mean, that was that was painful for a castle that was otherwise fully equipped. How are they going to do that? Right. Yeah, anyway. So I, I do look forward to the last 26 episodes of Voltron Legendary Defender, and I'm sad to say that we only have 26 left. Yeah. Before we uh, jump out of this uh, this quick review, if you can call it quick, Shiro, what is going on with Shiro now? I mean, that man cannot stop suffering, <laughs> Yeah. whether it's the original Shiro or Corone Shiro. The big question I have is, what did Allura just create? Was the Corone Shiro completely stripped by the time that she did this whole thing? Was Corone Shiro completely gone? Were there remnants of his memories from his his unique experiences as uh, as Shiro? Are there traces of Hagar having control over him? Who is this new person? I think it's still the old Shiro, mm-hmm. just consuming that body. I don't think there's any traces of Gaur left. The arm's completely cut off. And I don't think there's any remnant of Hagar left in it. Okay. That is a valid interpretation. I I expect they probably will go more that route because otherwise the the plot gets really even more complex than maybe it needs to be. (laughs) Well, Um, you heard what Joaquin said in the interview that maybe they'll just let uh, this Shiro walk around without an arm for a while and see how he deals with that. I mean, like he needs more suffering. Yes, that's right. You can never have enough suffering for poor Shiro. But I do hope that with all that alchemic knowledge that Alora has, that maybe she's able to work together with maybe Pidge and Hunk or somebody to build him a new arm. Yeah, I mean, it can't be. I mean, the Gaura have got artificial limbs like nobody's business. (laughs) Um, It's not like this is an unknown science. Oh, no. Yeah, I mean, they can do something for the guy. Right. Ugh, I don't know. I feel yeah. for the guy. And uh, <laughs> the question then is: Is this Shiro done with being a pilot of a lion? You know, and is Keith going to be the Black Lion pilot for good? That is a very good question. I mean, it's a valid question because, like you said, he's he's like Space Granddad now. Yeah, unless it's just a hair thing, but he sure looked visibly older. Um, <laughs> so uh, who knows? 
So I, I think we've got a lot of good things happening. And like we said, we didn't resolve the whole Aksha and Keith thing. So we need to find out what their relationship is or the reasons why she keeps on protecting him. Yeah. So we've got a coalition that still needs to uh, fight for freedom wherever there's trouble. We have, uh, we've got all these different Galra factions who will inevitably wind up at Earth at some point, because if for no other reason than uh, that uh, Voltron will be there, will the Lions be able to uh, recharge? I mean, they, uh, Hunk had said earlier in the season that their, their structural integrity was down to 60%. They were recharging in their chambers in the castle. They don't have a castle anymore. They're going to be making a lot of hyperspace jumps to get to Earth. Yeah. What are the Lions going to be like when they reach Earth? Who knows? Yeah, and I think their first move is to get together with the Rebels and the Coalition and talk about what's going on and, and of course, get Matt to go with them to Earth. Yeah, maybe that'll happen. Yeah. All right. So that was great. Yeah. What a season. <laughs> we'll be getting into Season 6 episode reviews as we go along here. Yep. And we'll have other surprises for you, and hopefully we will have more interviews, too. Yep, absolutely. At this point, we'd like to get into our Retro Voltron segment. Yeah! We now return to Retro Voltron. All right, so uh, we, as we mentioned earlier in the podcast, we've seen uh, Rommel, Bandor, and uh, Dayak, who was Lotor's governess. And characters with these names or roles have been in Voltron since uh, days of long ago in Voltron Defender of the Universe. Uh, who is Rommel, at least in uh, Defender of the Universe? Rommel and Bandor are siblings in that show, and they first appear in the 17th Lion Force episode called My Brother is a Real Beast. And in that show, Allura is surprised to discover not only that there's a, a, a lady who looks a lot like her, but that she's from a planet that is a sister planet to Eris. The, the planet is called Pollux. In the beginning of the episode, the king of Pollux, named Kova, he is trying to form an alliance with Zarkon of Planet Doom and volunteers his son, Avok, to be turned into a row beast that will almost certainly be able to destroy Voltron. And his hope is to basically end a long-standing feud between Eris and Pollux, or Pollux. Depends on the episode, whether you call it Pollux or Pollux. <laughs> and um, it basically, he, his thought is that... Uh, Pollux and Doom will split rulership of Eris, and of course, each side wants to eventually conquer the other uh, party. And so, um, Rommel, at this point, is not too keen on the idea of war. Uh, her younger brother, Bandor, is. He's very much following in his father's footsteps and really would love to see Pollux conquer Eris. Uh, but that's that's the gist of it. And so, their older brother, Avok, has turned into a row beast. And the Voltron Force tries to go to Pollux at Allura's insistence to try to make peace. And she meets Rommel, and they're just, they're surprised to discover how similar they look to one another. And they both are uh, convinced that they need to try to find peace. But not until, of course, uh, Avok, the Robeast, attacks, and Voltron ultimately uh, is fighting uh, Avok. But Lotor himself basically becomes impatient with the battle and fires on the Avok Robeast, and off it goes, flowing down a river. Uh, and then uh, Lotor actually leaves Pollux with Rommel. So she's a captive, and that's how the episode ends. But the Voltron Force says, yes, we're going to get her back. Do they get her back? They do, but it takes a long time. Uh, it's much later in the series when that happens. And during that time, she is a, a slave on Planet Doom, and she meets this character called Sven. <laughs> <laughs> 
And so by the, the 50-something episode, Rommel and Sven worked together pretty closely on Planet Doom, forming a resistance and helping the Voltron Force to take down Zarkon. And by the 52nd episode, I say that because that's the last Go Lion episode that was adapted into Voltron, uh, they've helped to take down Zarkon and Lotor. Then when uh, the show continues with the 20-odd episodes that were made just for Voltron and the status quo is restored with Zarkon and Lotor, Sven relocates to Pollux with Rommel. He lives in a cabin for a while, but they love each other from afar. Rommel and Bandor both appear as late as episode 70 called No Muse is a Good Muse. And at that point, what's very interesting about that episode is that um, Rommel is back on Eris visiting Allura, and they're celebrating an, a special day called the Eclipse of Alfor. And the funny thing is that uh, Allura and Rommel are they're celebrating their childhood together. Oh. And Rommel talks about how good Alfor had treated her, how well he had treated her when she was a kid, which of course completely contradicts the first appearance <laughs> <laughs> when the two had not known each other. <laughs> right. Yeah. So there you go. Rommel and Bandor are both around for quite a long time in the Voltron on Mythos, and uh, Bandor, um, we haven't really talked much about him, but his role, I mean, he supports his big sister, and he actually helps to lead a space fleet from Polux that helps to take on Zarkon and help out Voltron and all that. So he's he's small, but he's uh, got a lot of gumption, and he is very dedicated to the Voltron cause. So uh, that's pretty much Bandor in a nutshell. Okay. Yeah, so let's talk about Nanny very quickly. Okay. Why did I say Nanny and not Dyak? Right. Uh, the, the reason for that is that uh, the Voltron legendary defender character Dyak is Lotor's governess, and she is indirectly based on Allura's governess from Voltron Defender of the Universe, who is only called Nanny. And so this is Nanny. And she first appears in Defender of the Universe Episode 7 called The Lion Has No Claws. And her first appearance is just as funny as Dyak's first appearance, although it's it's uh, very different in nature. But she basically uh, shows up in the middle of the night. She had heard rumors that Voltron was back. It has a rude uh, first encounter with Keith, Lance, and Pidge. And she asserts herself very, very quickly as a lady and someone that uh, mere peasants like the Voltron Force ought to treat more respectfully. It's a funny scene, and Nanny uh, spends her entire time on Voltron uh, trying to help Allura govern, but mostly uh, treat Allura as if she's a very little girl and doesn't want her to get into trouble, flying blue lion and all that, and uh, hilarity ensues as Allura and Nanny and Karan have that constant run-in with one another. Her last appearance is in episode 66 called To Soothe the Savage Robeast. She seems a lot calmer in that episode. She seems to have come to grips with the fact that Allura is with Voltron to stay. But that's pretty much it. What did you think about Rommel, Bandor, and Nanny from Voltron Defender of the Universe? For starters, uh, the whole Rommel being exactly like Allura seems a little far-fetched if they had never met before. Although... The explanation that Pollux was a sister planet of Aris, mm -hmm. you can kind of understand that maybe they were distant cousins and they just somehow look alike. Yeah, they actually were because uh, Pollux was settled by the other brother of the royal who eventually uh, ruled Aris. Right. So they had a common father. There was a feud between the two sons and they, they went off their in their different directions. But I never thought Romel looked identical to Allura. There's definitely a similarity, 
but I never thought they were, you know, identical twin cousins or anything. Well, the other thing <laughs> was, was that it was the same voice actor, B.J. Ward, that did both Ramel and Alora. You could tell that B.J. had put on an older type of voice and a softer kind of voice for Ramel. Mm -hmm. But when she did Alora, she was a little bit higher pitched and lighter. Right, right. So all of those things just made for a really interesting, uh, I'm sure there were some very interesting voice sessions that they had there. <laughs> no doubt. And then Bandor, voiced by Neil Ross. <laughs> it was one of those things where you could kind of tell out of all the voice actors which one had voiced Bandor. Yeah. Because <laughs> it was kind of similar to Pidge, but it had a little bit of Keith in it. Yeah, Neil Ross has a very elastic voice. Yeah. He uh, certainly did back in the mid-80s. And somehow he always got saddled with doing these diminutive little boy kind of characters, whether it was Pidge or uh, Bandor or Chip in the Vehicle Team episodes. He always seemed to get saddled with that role. <laughs> God love him. He uh, he did a great job, Deuces, but my goodness, they must have been horrible for his throat. Yeah. And then, of course, <laughs> Nanny, man... There were so many times where she tried to pull the plug on everything that the, the Voltron Force was doing and just to get... I mean, they even locked Alora in her room one time. Yes, they did. <laughs> just... Man, here she is. She's supposed to be ruling the planet. And she's got this woman that uh, just wants to keep her from doing things that she's supposed to be doing. Yep which is really protecting the planet from the evil drools. Yeah. You know, I, I found Nanny really annoying when I was a kid, but as I watched the show today, I really respect who she was in Alora's life. Uh, in the very first episode, she says, now I can get back to taking care of you as, as if I were your mother. I mean, that's how she, and she implies that that's how she had treated Alora when she was a little girl. So uh, Alora's mother had died when Alora was very, very young. So, you know, given the devastation of Eris and the enslavement of so many of its people, I can imagine why she'd be that protective. And let's not forget, Nanny was also brought up in Voltron Force to take care of Sven's son. In Voltron Force, that's true. Yes. So at one point, they didn't even, it wasn't even a voice part, just so you know. <laughs> yeah. You never heard Nanny in Voltron Force, but what you saw was at the end of the episode, they hand over... Sven's son to Nanny to take care of him mm -hmm. because Alora trusted her because Nanny helped raise her. Right. So that was a much different Nanny than the first Nanny. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no doubt. Well, maybe she wouldn't have been if she had actually spoke in the yeah. episode. We never found out. Yeah. Now, Romel and Bandor never appeared in either Voltron the Third Dimension or Voltron Force, and Nanny never appeared in Voltron the Third Dimension. So, right. So it, it's been fun to have uh, characters with those names or roles come back in Legendary Defender. Right. And I think that's going to do it for us, our retro Voltron segment. There we go. All right. So you get a little bit of background on some characters that maybe you didn't know about from the original series. And now you can see them in Voltron Legendary Defender Season 6. Yes, which is so cool! <laughs> so we've all seen it now. We've all gone through this podcast review. And now we can go into deeper dives in each of these episodes. Yep. But we also can get together with some of our Voltron friends and, and just talk about Voltron. Absolutely. 
We want to hear what your thoughts are about Season 6, obviously. So feel free to send us an email at letsvoltronpodcast at gmail.com. Yep. You never know if we're planning on maybe having another giveaway. Hmm. Hmm. What an interesting (laughs) idea. But we would like to have another giveaway, so if maybe you send us your thoughts on Season 6 in an email at letsvoltronpodcast at gmail.com, we might think about taking one of those entries and giving away a nice little Voltron Season 6 prize pack. That sounds awesome. So send us your thoughts on Season 6. Obviously, we'll be online on Twitter. We're at Let's Voltron on Instagram, Let's Voltron, and of course on Facebook. Don't forget to check out that very special pub scene video that we are introducing through the help of DreamWorks Animation. Thank you very much. Uh, go on to our podcast page at letsvoltron.com and go to the link that is there for the pub scene. Yep. And, of course, we'll have all kinds of goodies on, on our podcast page at letsvoltron.com. And, of course, those links at the top help you go to our, our other sites like Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and our store on TeePublic. Yep. So we'll see you all next time on Let's Voltron. Let's Let's Voltron. Voltron.